guest here for Talent Talks today. Um, we have Nicole Schmidt from HR Reward Strategies. She has 20 plus years of working in compensation and benefits um, you know, at the corporate level. And, and one of the big topics we wanted to address in this one is, as an organization is trying to find the best talent, passive candidates, you know, people that aren't actively looking, how do you align that with a compensation strategy? Right, it's a big topic we hear it all the time, and so we wanted we wanted to have Nicole come in here and share some of her thoughts and beliefs with us. Um, and so, Nicole, we're excited to have you. Thanks for joining us. Well, yeah, thanks, Ben. I appreciate the opportunity to talk to the group. Um, yeah, I've, I've I've had a lot of different experiences when I'm working with um, the recruitment area, the recruiting area, and they're trying to bring in these highly competitive jobs, you know, a lot of them may be in the IT side um, for a lot of technical work, but, you know, sometimes it's accounting, sometimes it's engineering. So it could be a lot of different areas where you really need to get that talent. And compared to the people who are on your teams, there's a disconnect. And so what are some of the things that you can do um, as compensation professionals or as your HR generalist, how do you handle those situations? So I got, I kind of boiled it down to maybe four key areas where you'd want to look at that rec, um, the, the requisition that you're working off of to try to hire a candidate. Um, and I'm assuming maybe you have a candidate that's asking and it's a good candidate. You know, some of the assumptions are it's a really great candidate and they have everything that's in the requisition but it's more than what you're willing to pay or more than what you had planned to pay. So four key areas would be, you want to assess those job requirements that you're, you're um, posting for the job, um, do some salary survey comparison, and I'll go into each of these different areas in, in more depth in just one second, unless Ben has questions along the way. But assess job requirements, do your salary survey, your market comparisons, review the current employees, both base and total cash compensation, and then also assess the total compensation package as a whole, not only base, bonus, but maybe there's some other forms of perks you could put in or some other work-life balance issues that um, are playing more and more uh, favor to candidates who are coming in. So uh, to start out assessing the job requirements, one of the things is, you know, do the requirements that you're asking for, are these higher than, um, or does the person who's coming in have a higher skill set than what you really need for the job? Possibly that person is asking for a higher dollar value because you, because you, you know, you think they're a great candidate, but it, it, are the job requirements really appropriate to what the needs are to the organization? If so, well, maybe you need to pay a premium for this person more, uh, and that kind of flows into number three about the current employees, but maybe you do need to pay a premium for that person. Um, you want to look at the salary survey data. Now, granted, a lot of times it can be stale. A lot of times it can be older, but you have to remember that in salary survey data, you're always looking at uh, median rates of pay. And what I found most recently in some of our candidate searches is that you know, it's a supply and demand market. You know, when we have low unemployment rates, well, um, then there's a lot of people looking for jobs and you want to get that best candidate, you may have to pay up. You may have to pay up in the upper end of the range. Hopefully you don't have to pay over the top of the range because then that really skews your internal comparisons. But um, you want to be able to um, at least benchmark the job to 
um, published salary survey data. When I say published salary survey, that's the, that's the um, Mercers of the world, the Williams Tower, the Willis Towers, Watson, those, those um, objective salary survey sources that aren't really um, trade, um, trade um, groups driven or individual incumbent driven. Those reputable sources are really what will give you um, the most fair and organizational reported salaries. So you're going to look at median rates of pay and there again too, you may need to pay at the 75th percentile of that market data to get this candidate. Um, you know, if, if you're hearing that all the candidates are that, are that high, all the candidates that are applying for the job are at that high level, well, then, then you may want to look at um, in depth, maybe my market data isn't right. Um, what we've had to do in the past organization I worked with, we didn't go to just the general Willis, Towers, Watson, and Mercer. We went to Gartner Salary Survey. We went to some other of these Culpeper IT surveys where it's just those jobs. And you can, you know, if you just need a job, you can mark, you don't have to buy the whole survey, you can just market price that one job. Um, and maybe, um, yeah, so, and so then the third thing would be looking at the total compensation of the group. So in a second, then I'll give you an example of kind of how this would uh, work in your organ own organization. Because if you do end up finding that you need to bring in this person higher than what your current people are paying, are being paid, then you really need to do some compression analysis. Yeah, is the person who's coming in doing more than what the people are who are on your team? If they're, if they're doing really that same job, well, then you have what's called compression. And compression is where the people on your team are being paid significantly less than what you need to pay to get somebody from the outside. Well, then we need to kind of work on what kind of strategy can we, can we build in? Because maybe you just have loyal employees, but it's not fair to be paying your current employees less than what, um, than what, you're, what, what you may end up paying for this candidate. Does that make sense? I mean, Ben, do you have any questions along the way? No, I have, I have a few. Maybe if there's your last point, but I wanna dive into kind of that live example and just talk through that. Okay, okay, yeah. So, um, yeah, so let's, well, let's take a break there. And so let's, let, let's, let's look at, let's say, for example, and, and what this happened in real life, uh, one of the situations I had is that we had a candidate who was asking, um, for 100 and a salary of 105,000 for a business analyst role, and so it was it was pretty technical. They needed to have a lot of knowledge about the business, but they also needed to have a lot of knowledge about what the technical skills um, were needed and how we can uh, marry those two pieces of the of the operations of our team. So you have um, someone who has technical knowledge, has business knowledge. Um, and our current staff is making somewhere between seventy and eighty thousand dollars. The candidate who we really love, we really want, is, is asking one hundred and five. So what do we do? So as I talked about, step step one, looking at those job requirements and are they equivalent to what you really need for the job, um, or is it, uh, or are you just going to pay up because this person brings so many extra things? And that's a premium. That's that's more than what you really need for the job, but that's okay. Um, in the salary survey data, and like particularly for a job like this, 
there's always going to be multiple levels of business analysts. You know, we have um, a level one, two, three, four, in this case, from the survey data that I just grabbed. Um, could it be, and maybe you have all your people at a business analyst too, or a business systems analyst, maybe two, but this person is a four. And so you really need to assess, are my people being underpaid? Are they doing the work of a business analyst too, which really says two to four years of experience, which is just kind of a key. It's not really necessarily just because you have more than four years of experience, you bump into the level three. Um, it's really that um, level of um, responsibility, level of accountability. Maybe it's the, the um, area, the division that they manage or they do support work for. Maybe they're more high profile, more complicated. So um, I think, and in the situation that, um, this real life situation that I went through, it, it really was more that the candidate they wanted to bring in, they wanted him, him in this case, to have a, lot, a really strong uh, sense of this uh, one system, and I don't recall what system it was that they were working with, but a really high level competitive skill set that no one else on the team had. And you know, we I had a lot to do with SAP, so that was part of it too. A lot of the people on the team were just learning SAP. They needed somebody who could hit the ground running, run and work with this SAP system. So we really determined that the person, the candidate that we're bringing in was, was really bringing in more of a skill set of a business analyst for compared to what we had uh, twos for the rest of the people. Now, there was a couple of people who were borderline, maybe moving up and learning SAP in this case, or some other of those unique systems. Well, maybe those, a couple of those should move into that level three. They didn't have to jump from 80,000 to 105, but it did take us, um, take an opportunity to step back and say, well, maybe we should be paying more for some of our people, you know, assess, and, and in, the, in the example that, um, that Ben and I talked about earlier, you know, maybe you have like six or seven people in that job currently, this person brings SAP and this, this, and this, these other skills. And I think we're willing to pay up because we can justify. And the big thing is to justify ROI. Are we getting the return um, from an organizational perspective for that extra, you know, it could be up to, you know, maybe $20,000 for this person. So we wanna make sure that we can sell that to our senior leaders, sell that to the accounting budgeting folks who may be caught off guard by that. So those are all internal discussions that need to have, but if you have the salary survey data, you have, it's not just hearsay of the candidates who are coming in are all asking for that. That's on both sides of the house because a lot of people will say, oh, well, that data's stale. Well, it is and it isn't, maybe. Maybe you're just not matching to the right job. So, um, so, the, so that situation would, would give you that um, opportunity to do a compression analysis. Look at your current people, see how much they are lower to that new market data or lower to the um, person you're bringing in and set up a game plan. You know, do, um, it's not realistic to say you're gonna just pop everybody 15 or 10, 15 or even $20,000 salary but as long as you can be upfront with your team, 
somehow we always told people, you know, don't talk about your salary. <laughs> don't, don't tell everybody what you're making, but somehow it comes out, you know, in one shape or form. So you just want to be aware from a management perspective on what the market is and just not, not that you're going to tell people that this is what the new guy came in at, but to say we're, we're looking at or doing a market analysis and trying to be upfront and coming up with a strategy. Maybe it's over the next year, every three to six months, they're going to give you a pop, a market adjustment rate. Yeah. So let's dig into that a little deeper. So, um, so would it be your advice that, all right, we have, we've determined that we can have categories, different levels to the same position. Um, do you recommend that you lay out what are the skills and, and accomplishments and performance objectives of each level so you can then tell your internal team hey you're currently at a two so you you know if you can acquire these skills and train on these skills you can get to this new comp range which is a three mm -hmm. um, does that also allow you to give you the freedom to then bring in someone as a four who stretches that comp range even farther um, mm -hmm. So you like that? Is that you think a best practice? Yeah, and I highly recommend um, you know documenting it, having it. And everybody hates job descriptions. You don't have to have you know job descriptions that are volumes and volumes, but at least a page, page and a half to distinguish the um, the requirements, the um, expectations yep. for each of those roles, because that is a great skill for the recruiter to have when you're hiring for that job but so to assess how, their performance and all that. I'm sorry. Yeah. No, so, so that's great. I mean, that's, that really aligns with, in our world, Titus, we believe in performance objectives and clearly articulating them per position so you can align that with why you even have the role. Um, and then everyone's transparent on how they're being managed as well.